0: This morning we are going to wrap up a series that we started a few weeks ago, and it's called The Four Biggest Questions You've Ever Had About God. Uh, what we did was right around Easter, we, we kind of went around the community, uh, we had this box for questions, and uh, in the box we asked people to put, what, what questions do you have about God? And, and so the first three weeks of the series, have been talking about some of those questions. Uh, we asked, what did God do before earth? Uh, then we asked, uh, why does God seem so different between the Old and the New Testaments? And last week, Nina Miller uh, brought a word, and she uh, an- answered for us the question, why doesn't God just make people believe? And so we had those three questions, and they were great and awesome and fun and all that sort of thing. Uh, but what we wanted to do was also find out from, from some other parts of our community what questions they would have. Uh, so one night in April, I went to our youth group. Uh, Our youth ministry reaches students in grades 6 through 12 and brought the box and said, hey, uh, can you guys think of what what question would you want to ask? What's a big question that you'd have about God that you'd want to ask? And that's the question that we're going to talk about today. Uh, and, And I was... I don't know. I was a little surprised at the question that was prevalent in in the youth group that day. Uh, But maybe I shouldn't be because we've got amazing kids that are a part of this church, amazing teenagers that are already impacting our world in so many ways. Their big question was this, does God have a soul? Does God have a soul? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Does God have a soul? So as we prepare to reflect on that question, I'm going to invite you to pull out your Bible, if you brought a Bible with you. Uh, We're going to be reading from the book of Ephesians. Uh, We're going to read the fourth chapter. We're actually going to read the first through the sixth verses, verses 1 through 6. Uh, we're going to read uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I want to let you know, if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, over there by the canvas wall in the back, there are a whole bunch of Bibles, and we would love for you to, to borrow one of those this morning if you need to, and uh, also remember that if you don't have a Bible at home that you can read or understand, please take that Bible home with you. That is our gift to you. We would love for you to have that. We're going to be reading again Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. As we prepare to read, would you pray with me? God, we are here. From all different corners and from all different places, we are in this place. And we're trusting, God, that you're in here too. We've sensed your spirit as we've sung songs, as we've been together in community, as we've experienced your love already this morning. And so we pray, God, in these moments ahead, as we reflect on your word and on our lives God, would you speak to us? Would we be listening for you? And would you be making us more like you with every breath that we take? Amen. Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call that you have received from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to do something pretty dangerous to start out this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys to close your eyes. I want everybody in the room to close your eyes for just a moment. Uh, You're going to go to lunch afterwards. Somebody's going to ask you, what did you do at church? And you're going to say, I slept, and it was great. Just kidding. So so close your eyes uh, for just a moment. And I want you to think about a time that is not happening right now that won't happen for several months now, but probably a time that all of us have experienced in some way. So I've got my eyes closed. I hope your eyes are closed. I want you to imagine the way your family's table looks on Thanksgiving dinner time. Thanksgiving dinner. So everybody imagine that for just a moment. Imagine the way it looks. I, I know at our table, in my family, I, I'm in charge of smoking a turkey. So there's a turkey in the middle of the table that's of rich mahogany in color. It smells delicious, and it looks amazing. We have mashed potatoes and gravy. There's green bean casserole. There's sweet potatoes, cranberry sauce, salads with all the fixings. Maybe your table looks kind of like ours. Imagine just looking out over your table and seeing the feast that you're about to eat. Okay, you can open your eyes. Now is your mouth watering just a little bit, maybe? Is everybody feeling a little little hungry? Like we need to speed this along so we can get to lunch, maybe? Sometimes our, our Thanksgiving tables look different. Now, now, some of you might have a different table than our table. Maybe you have a tofurkey in the middle of your table, and maybe that's a rich mahogany color too. Uh, maybe, maybe you have different sides. Maybe you have pies. Maybe you have all different sorts of things. But there's just something about that Thanksgiving table before everybody gets to it. Right, before, it, before it's all taken apart, before it's all just a bunch of bagged up leftovers, the Thanksgiving table is a beautiful sight to see. It appears lovely. It, it looks great. And it's something that maybe, if we're thinking about it well, draws us to appreciation. Maybe we appreciate what we have. We appreciate what we're about to eat. We appreciate that we're doing it together with folks. We appreciate what is there. So then at, at Thanksgiving, I know we're we're a few months out from Thanksgiving, maybe it's hard to think about. Uh then we go from that state of appreciation and awe. I know I look at the table, I'm just like, "Oh yes, this is this is good," right? And then uh and then we sit down. And immediately we start to eat, right? I don't know. Well, maybe you go around the table and say a bunch of you know, good things about how thankful you are. In our family, we just dig in because everybody's hungry. And uh, and so we just start to eat. And uh, I think about myself, and I think about my brother-in-law, Sam, Kelly's brother. So I love turkey breast. Like, that's, that's the part of the turkey that I love the most. Sam can't stand that part of the turkey. He has to have dark meat. Uh, other people around our table, like, some people will take the mashed potatoes. Other people will take the sweet potatoes. Uh, some people love the cranberry sauce. Some people hate green bean casserole. I'm not a big green bean casserole fan. So, you you look around, even though we have this common feast, this big table with a lot of stuff on it, a lot of goodness on it, as we begin to consume what is on the table, everybody's plate looks a little bit different. Because each of us has a preference of what we like and what we don't like when it comes to the Thanksgiving dinner, right? Some of us like this one part, some of us like others. Some of us like tofurkey. others of us have never had tofurky. Uh You know, everybody has their own place and their own part of the table and what it tells us friends is that there are two big differences when it comes to thanksgiving and maybe when it comes to life it tells us that appreciating the meal and consuming the meal are two very different things appreciating the meal and consuming the meal are two very different things and the reason I want to share this with you is we start to talk about, does God have a soul? Uh, it seems like, I, I know this seems like, how are these two going to connect? I promise we're going to get there. Uh, the, the reason I wanted to, to give this to you at the beginning of this morning's message is because I think sometimes we want to make God very, very consumable. There are parts of God that I'm more comfortable with than others, Right? Maybe the parts of God that I'm comfortable with are a little bit different than the parts that my wife Kelly's comfortable with or, or the parts that Chrissy's comfortable with or, or Andy or, or anybody in this room. We all might have different parts of God that we're comfortable with. And when we go to consume God, when we go to be in relationship with God, to, to have this kind of aspect of God in our hearts and lives, we pick and choose. We, we have different parts that we like, but when we appreciate God, when we see the fullness of who God is and how God loves, even though our perspective is limited, even though we're not perfect, when we take that step back and see the fullness of God, maybe the picture is a little bit different. So I want to tell you, as as we begin to think about does God have a soul, I want to tell you about something called an Augustinian ethic. We've been using some big words here. Uh, so an Augustinian ethic, is it refers to this guy named St. Augustine of Hippo, uh, as opposed to St. Augustine in Florida. And so uh, St. Augustine of Hippo was around the early 5th century, late 4th, early 5th century, great, great theologian, great person of the church. And, and he had this great idea that I want to share with you, this ethic that I think can, can be foundational to this conversation. It's this, that we use that which is finite— But we enjoy that which is infinite. We use that which is finite, but we enjoy that which is infinite. So here's why that matters. It means that, that like this candle, for example, so this candle's on fire, I'm going to try not to drop it. Uh, Maybe I won't pick it up. Okay, so everybody can see it, though. Uh, You can hopefully see that there's a candle in the middle of our room. There will come a time, it is a beautiful candle, it's showing us the light of Christ, it's doing all these great things. This beautiful candle, at some point, will no longer be able to be lit. It'll run out of wax, right? It, it has a finite amount of wax. It has a finite amount of time that it can serve its purpose. So this is something that is used, right? It's something that is used. But, but think about something infinite. Think about looking at the stars at night. Uh, the spy staff and I are going to go on a retreat this afternoon. We're going to be in Farmville, Virginia, which is uh, a metropolis, of sorts, and, uh, <laughs> but it's really not. And because it's not, uh, I'm already looking forward to at night, it's not supposed to be rainy, it's not supposed to be cloudy. I imagine the way that we're going to be able to see the stars in the sky... In Farmville, it's going to be clear. Even in you know, in Christiansburg, we don't have a lot of lights. You can see the stars pretty well. It's different than it is in like a city. Like if you were go to Washington D.C. or New York or Boston or someplace like that, it'd be very hard to see the stars in the sky. But in these rural places, in these places that don't have a lot of other outside lights, you can see the stars in the sky and the inf- the infinite amount of beauty that's there. And instead of, you, but you don't use that. You enjoy it. We enjoy that which is infinite, but we use that which is finite. And so here's the question for us Is God something we use or something we enjoy? Do we treat God like the beginning of the Thanksgiving feast where we're able to see the fullness of God and appreciate the fullness of God, or is God a finite resource for our consumption? That's the challenge with this question of, does God have a soul? Because the reality is, what we can find out in Scripture, maybe what we can find out in our lives, is that, that it may seem like God does. At the, at the beginning of this process, when, I, when we kind of narrowed down the questions and, and realized at the end of April what we were going to be preaching about, I would have answered this question with a yes. I would have said, God, yes, God has a soul, absolutely. Because if you look at Scripture, uh, there are a number of places that refer to God's soul. Uh, in the book of Leviticus, uh, there's some stuff about God's soul, and uh, Leviticus uh, is a very rule-based book, and so sometimes the God's soul part that's in there isn't as fun. Uh, God's soul is referred to in the book of Hebrews as well. There are about 15 different references throughout Scripture to God's soul. If I were to give you a picture of God's soul, I might choose these, these words at the beginning of Ephesians, where, where Paul, writing Ephesians, says, conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with peace that ties you together. Let's, let's hit some of those catchwords. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity, and peace. Do those sound like they could be characteristics of God's soul? Yeah, absolutely. I think they do. I think those sound very much like things that could be part of God's soul. Maybe we'd look at the person of Jesus, right? Jesus, who walked this earth, was both fully God and fully human. If we believe Jesus was fully human, and we believe that we as humans have a soul, then we would believe that Jesus had a soul. And Jesus walking this earth, being both fully human and fully God, if Jesus had a soul, then we would assume that God has a soul. Maybe we would look at ourselves and understand that we as people are made in the image of God. And if we are made in the image of God, then wouldn't it make sense, since we have a soul, for God to have a soul? I think these are all very legitimate things. And it's very possible that God does, in fact, have a soul. But the thing I kept wrestling with in my in my study and in my discernment as I was preparing to share this word with you was that every time I kept looking for God's soul, I kept looking for a digestible part of God. I was looking for something that I could understand, like a, a little box for God to fit into. And what I was doing in the process was, was something that we see candy makers do a lot. Candy makers make things fun size, right? Have you ever had a fun size this is with the stuff that you hand out at Halloween, right? The fun size candy. We call it Fun size because you can eat one and not feel guilty about it, right? You can you can have whatever you want. You could have like ten of those things, and it would be it would be like eating like four Twix bars, but you'd feel, okay, it's a, it's fun size. Everything's great, uh, and it's it's wonderful. And, and sometimes there's a challenge that happens when we make God really small. And the challenge is that when we make God really small and really digestible and consumable, when we make God a resource for us to use, it means that my God's different than your God. That, that who you worship is different than who they worship, and who they worship is different from who she worships, and et cetera, et cetera. It goes on and on, and what it ends up doing is causing conflict and turmoil and division. While God may have a soul, to to consider only God's soul without considering the fullness of God's being is maybe to miss the point, think about this picture. This is a, a lovely picture of uh, nothing, right? Uh, there's nothing in this picture. It's, it's got a little bit of color on one side, and it's really dark on another. If you were to get up close to the screen, you'd see this picture's really pixely. It's not very pretty to look at. But if you were to take a step back, sometimes in life, we are called to take a step back so that we can see a bigger picture. If you take a step back from this, you see that it is part of something greater the sunset that is beautiful i don't care what you believe i would hope that you believe that to be beautiful and if we took a step back from that we would see maybe the beauty of something bigger than that if we were to take we could keep stepping back and keep seeing beauty upon beauty upon beauty upon beauty maybe that's why paul continues in ephesians and he doesn't say, look at this part of God. He doesn't say, look at this, this little sliver of God. He says, you are one body and one spirit, just as God called you in one hope. And then he says this, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. One. One. Not a God that's meant to be split up. Not a God that's meant to be carved into digestible portions like a Thanksgiving turkey. But a God who is big. And a God whose soul, should it be that God has a soul, is an unwavering part of God's overall character. A, a brief glimpse into the fullness of God's love, into the fullness of God's grace, and in the fullness of God's passion for each and every one of you and for each and every person on this planet. You see, God's, God's soul to me would be, would be incredible. It would be something to look at, something to enjoy. But what would it look like to take a step back further and to see the bigger picture? Sometimes it's hard for us to see. I, I have contacts. I wear contacts and glasses. If I don't have those in, it's hard for me to see. Everything's blurry, nothing's really clear. I need something to help me see. And to me friends, that's why we do church. That's why we do communities is because this this community this this congregation this group of people that comes from all different places and all different backgrounds all different ages all different socioeconomic areas all all of that together we become the glasses through which we can see god and as we get to see god together we get to see a god who's big and a god who's great and a god as paul says at the end of this verse 6 a god who is overall through all, and in all. So does God have a soul? Maybe. It's certainly possible. But in my mind, and I hope in your heart, that what we might enjoy about God is that God is great. That we might enjoy that God is love. And that we might remember that God is soul or otherwise, is bigger than our minds could ever comprehend. And that is a really great gift. Thanks be to God. Amen.